What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Well, welcome in on what is a busy, busy, busy news edition and much more of the last word on Sports Media Podcast. I am the somewhat capable host, TJ Reeves. Lots and lots to cover from a first ever NBA Finals win for the Denver Nuggets to a first ever Stanley Cup win for the Las Vegas Golden Knights. And just when you think in the week of a major championship on the PGA Tour and in the world of golf, the United States Open, that the news would be about the golf on the course. Uh, My goodness, do we have a late Tuesday night additive, a bombshell involving the PGA Tour commissioner to cover, uh, especially after we spent so much time on this last week about the tour, the live golf merger, et cetera. Man, so much to get to. And we're even going to talk college World Series. If you're a baseball fan, uh, we're looking forward to talking about that as the eight teams of the College Baseball World Series are about to descend on Omaha, Nebraska for the 2023 version. And I'm going to talk with a distinguished member of the SEC media in the Knoxville media market who has covered and been to this World Series and called the University of Tennessee games two years ago there. And now the Vols are back as one of, an. uh, it seems like every year, an engraved invitation for the SEC in the College World Series. The Vols, one of three more teams that are back there. So we'll hear from Vince Ferrara a little bit uh, later on here in the program about the College World Series. And I also want to talk to him about uh, the SEC refusing to buckle on eight conference games versus nine in the college football season. So we'll hear from Vince on those subjects in a bit. Thank you for finding us. It is the last word on sports media podcast feed. Uh, I am uh, proud to hold things down here with the podcast, with that name, the last word on sports media podcast, but also here on the feed, you hear from George Offman with Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, great evergreen storytelling with a Chicago sports slant. Uh, Chuck Garfine is his guest this week, who is the pre and post game host on uh, NBC Sports Chicago and the Chicago White Sox coverage with Ozzie Guillen. You heard from Ozzie Guillen earlier in the year, the former White Sox World Series manager on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know uh, with Georgia. Georgia does a tremendous job with Chuck, who's had, got a big radio background in Chicago, outside of Chicago. He brings you Chicago sports stories, but they also broaden it out. Uh, he does a great job of broadening it out from the likes of Jason Bonetti, who also does the White Sox games on TV, but is nationally known for having been on ESPN and Fox Sports. You hear from him uh, recently in the archive. Uh, Cubs winning manager Joe Madden, 
But then uh, the likes of CBS's Greg Gumbel earlier in this calendar year talking NCAA tournament. Of course, Gumbel got his start in Chicago. On and on down the list. Local personalities, national names like Mike Greenberg, Michael Wilbon, Bob Costas that have ties to Chicago. All on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. And then my guys are back in the groove on the Announcer Schedules podcast. And man, do they have a ton to go over with the NBA Finals, the Stanley Cup Finals. As I mentioned, the College World Series. Uh, We will get to the debacle at the Belmont and Fox Sports, but those guys are going to be talking about that as well. Mike Gill and Phil DeMont Mullen, announcer schedules podcast right here on this podcast feed out later in the week. They talked with Brian Boucher of uh, now of ESPN's coverage, formerly of NBC Sports Stanley Cup coverage. Uh, And Brian also worked for Sports USA Radio, the Stanley Cup final Las Vegas and their victory over the Florida Panthers in five games clinching late Tuesday night, the Stanley Cup. Brian Boucher was their guest with Mike and Phil on announcer schedules last week. They've been bringing you all kinds of great guests, including the likes of uh, Sean McDonough recently in the past. They've talked to Rick Allen, the NBC uh, NASCAR uh, announcer, uh, Steve Levy of ESPN, Chris Crossing back and forth, Kevin Harlan from out at the Super Bowl, uh, talking with them about calling the Super Bowl on radio. So just... uh, a great opportunity and a great cross-section of guests on announcer schedules and the, the takes and the opinions of Mike Gill and Phil DeMont Mullen there. Hear them on this podcast feed as well. That's why you want to make sure that you're following or subscribing here to the Last Word on Sports Media podcast feed for the great content in and around sports media, everything that's going on, guests, newsmakers, all of it right here. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, search it. Last Word on Sports Uh, media podcast and give us a five-star rating and review that helps us with the algorithm it helps more people find it it helps us move up on the algorithm all great stuff all right again kudos to the denver nuggets who have clinched the nba championship the nba finals their first title in their 47 years of nba existence uh formerly obviously an aba team a lot of the basketball fans today that are under the age of like 30 have no idea what we're talking about But the American Basketball Association at one time merged in the likes of the San Antonio Spurs, the then New Jersey uh, Nets, what's now the Brooklyn Nets, the Denver Nuggets. They all came in as ABA franchises into the NBA fold. And Denver now wins a title. A year after the Colorado Avalanche have won the title, uh, a few years after Peyton Manning led the Denver Broncos to a Super Bowl win, Now you've got the Nuggets winning a championship, knocking out the Miami Heat. The eight seed had a great run, but they just ran into the best team in basketball, as it turns out. I don't know that this is going to be a Nuggets dynasty. I know that um, uh, Nikola Jokic is a tremendous big man, a passer, a scorer. He's arguably the best player in the NBA. You know, right here on this podcast feed, before this series began, we talked with Nate Lundy, a great sports uh, TV and radio personality in Denver, and he said, listen, uh, the way that he, to paraphrase it, the way that he put it, Jokic is not going to fly down the, the court at 100 miles an hour and, and go airborne above the rim for rim-racking dunks. That being said, there's a lot of old-school great moves in and around the paint, like a Kevin McHale up and under, you know, head fake here, go up and under there, fall away jumper uh, here or there. I mean, a lot of NBA old-school uh, low post play out of Jokic and a great pass or two in Denver with Jamal Murray and the rest of that crew just... Uh, put it on the Lakers, put it on the Miami Heat, and give Denver a ton of credit uh, for that win. So now, interestingly, on the rating standpoint, even though the clinching game did well, it's the it's the most watched 
uh, game five in the last four years for the NBA Finals. But a lot of this is skewed because obviously uh, a couple of things. First of all, the COVID-19 craziness of 2020 and the pandemic and the shutdown of all sports delayed the NBA Finals, remember, until that fall. It was displaced. And so the finals that year in the bubble, the Lakers and the Miami Heat, coincidentally, uh, very lowly rated. And and it remained displaced the following July as the Phoenix Suns and the Milwaukee Bucks were doing battle and, and Milwaukee eventually won. So once things got back on track last year for Golden State and Boston, that series ended up averaging out, uh, what, some 14 million fans that were watching last year. And so this year, it's just below that, uh, averaging right around 13 million. Last year's Game 7 for Celtics and Warriors um, averaged right around 16 million, something like that. So this one, though, averaged 13 million in the clinching game. Kind of right in line, though, because, I mean, Celtics-Warriors Game 5 last year also had 13 million. This was not a winner-take-all situation in a Game 7. And another aspect of this that we've kept talking about, and our, our guy John Lewis of SportsMediaWatch.com always talked about this uh, here over the last couple of years, the audience is not only so fragmented, but now you're measuring out of home. You weren't measuring out of home even four years ago where when a, when a – a Nielsen people, family, or person leaves with a portable meter, they can now measure, did they go watch the basketball game at a sports bar or at a friend's house? It used to be you had no viewership from that person without a portable people meter. Why is that significant? Because you now have hundreds of thousands of more audience being counted because of those people meters and the methodology. So now several people leaving with a people meter represents several hundred thousand people in the viewing audience if they take it with them and they watch the basketball game. And we should make mention of this, that you go back to pre-people meters, pre-COVID-19 pandemic, and it, it wasn't even uh, a blockbuster situation with the Toronto Raptors being one of the teams against Golden State, but you go back uh, to what they did in terms of audience uh, in 2019, where they had, what, 19 million people watching the clinching game. Now the clinching game is watched by 13 million, even without a home audience. Look, the numbers are what they are, and, and TV viewing habits have changed since 2020. The audience, again, the proliferation of streaming services, is it's all so fragmented. I mean, when you contemplate that in the 1980s, the 1990s, of, of NBA basketball it was being seen by 25, 30, 35 million people for the NBA finals. And now it's roughly a third, if not a quarter of that. It tells you how fragmented it is. But the end result is the basketball in the court from the mile high Denver Nuggets was good. They get the win and the ratings were not awful. But yes, they're the second worst overall ratings uh, this century, I believe it is. But again, all things being equal with the COVID-19 craziness that went on, fragmented audience, uh, you can understand. You can understand uh, why it's not. The Nuggets heat ranking the lowest since the Spurs and Cavaliers in 2007 had only 9.3 million watching. That's pretty incredible. That 16 years ago, you had an NBA Finals with LeBron in there for the first time 
against the San Antonio Spurs that wasn't even watched by 10 million people for San Antonio and Cleveland. And Denver and Miami, and I know Miami won a couple of championships with LeBron and D. Wade. They were in the finals, as I mentioned, in 2020, but it's not the same. Not the same as having the Lakers or Golden State or the Boston Celtics in the in the biggest of markets. But even Golden State and Boston didn't, uh, didn't blossom into massive numbers uh, last year. So anyway, the NBA season put to bed. There you go on uh, on that front with the ratings. And the same with the NHL season on Tuesday night as the Vegas Golden Knights captured their first title in just their sixth season. Incredible as an expansion team. They went to the Stanley Cup final in 2018 and were beaten by the Washington Capitals. Now back in 2023, it only took them five games to win and they won in blowout fashion in the fifth and deciding game, scoring nine goals in the clinching game. Hello uh, in that so congratulations to Jonathan Marcheseau, who is the uh, Con Smythe playoff MVP, and Vegas, Vegas, Vegas. The NHL jumped in first with a team. Now the NFL has a team. Is Major League Baseball uh, going to allow the A's to move? It would be two Oakland teams, the Raiders and the A's, moving uh, to Vegas. What a sports market and what a party that's still ongoing while I tape this podcast as the Golden Knights are able to get the win, and we put the hockey season to bed. And yes, it is it is low-rated numbers on TNT, on Turner's coverage of, uh, of the NHL. Fewer than 2 million people watching on average. I don't know. We're not going to know for a day or so what the Game 5 final number is, but it's probably going to be less than a couple of million. That They're trying to establish things on Turner on a new network. It's the first time uh, really going back to Fox in the mid-90s that somebody other than ESPN or NBC was televising the Stanley Cup Finals. Turner is certainly known for the NBA playoffs, not the NBA Finals. They haven't ever had that, but known for the NCAA tournament. Uh, Turner's uh, TBS Baseball has had uh, weekly uh, national uh, games as well as playoff series, not the World Series. But now trying to get everybody acclimated to hockey. And listen, it's a great call, a great listen to listen to Kenny Albert and Eddie Olchick uh, that are that are at the top of their games still on calling this thing. But there's only so much they can do. They got Wayne Gretzky on the on the studio show. There's only so much you can do when it's on cable and there's such a fragmented audience. I don't know that the NHL is ever going to get back to having more than a few million people watch three, four five million people watch, whether it's on ESPN or uh, if it's on Turner. Don't know what the case is, but the hockey season put to bed uh, as well. By the way, to back up to the basketball, amazing for Mike Breen and Jeff Van Gundy and Mark Jackson. Mike Mike Breen did work in his 18th consecutive NBA Finals, uh, which is all-time a record, and 100 games that he's now done. Because when you figure that seven is the max, working for the 18 seasons, and a lot of the times it, it, it has been a sweep or over within five games. It was over in five games again here, but that's quite the accomplishment uh, for one of the top announcers in all of American sports TV, what Mike Breen has become synonymous with calling the NBA Finals, not unlike Jim Nance, uh, who finally has put it to bed after over 30, what, 33 or 34 years calling the Final Four for CBS. And they rotate the Super Bowl play-by-play guy every year, but what Joe Buck did, what, 20 World Series in a row for Fox before saying goodbye and Joe Davis took it over for him. So longevity in these roles, it is it is pretty impressive and amazing. And again, Kenny Albert and Eddie Olchick worked the final Stanley Cup for NBC a couple of years ago, where my Champa Bay Lightning knocked off the Montreal Canadiens 
And now they uh, get to work it again a couple of years later on TNT on Turner's Cable uh, for the Golden Knights win. And the party's still ongoing in Vegas, that's for sure. Uh, Speaking of Fox Sports, before we get to the conversation with Vince Ferraro and we talk some College World Series on the drama and the interest in and around that and the SEC football schedule, uh, what in the name of Secretariat was going on Sunday with the Belmont Stakes coverage on Fox? It's the first time ever that Fox has been involved in a triple crown. They've been involved in some other horse racing uh, broadcasts, especially with FS1 Cable. What is it? The Travers Stakes. It's one of the races, but this is one of the this is one of the the biggest. I mean, it's the 50th anniversary. Speaking of Secretariat, of Secretariat winning the Triple Crown at the Belmont. It's in New York, and they did roll out Kurt Menefee as the host, Tom Rinaldi on the coverage with the different analysts. But good God, how bad was the audio production of the the race finale where you've got the jockeys and the horse hooves and the horses exhaling while they're running? You can't even hear the legendary uh, Triple Crown broadcaster Tom Durkin call the race. Durkin retired some nine years ago in 2014 after over 40 years of calling horse racing and over, over 20 plus years of calling the Triple Crown for NBC and for other outlets. So Dirk had retired. They coaxed him out of retirement, probably paid him a bunch of money, you'd have to think, to come out of retirement. And you can't even hear Tom Durkin's call of the horse Archangel winning. Uh, You couldn't even hear his call of the race at the end. It was embarrassingly bad for Fox Sports. Um, And and if I'm the Belmont Stakes, uh, I don't know if Fox got a multi-year deal or not. I'm looking at the at the language, at the fine print quickly on can we escape out of this deal after how embarrassingly bad that was. Where the race call is the most important thing on who is that horse winning and you could not hear the Hall of Fame announcer over the awful sound effects mix. Talk about those Southwest Airlines commercials, want to get away, want to get away. Um, put it this way. If Fox, uh, this has always been my line. If Fox sports is doing the Belmont again next year, I don't know who the audio mixer, the a two is going to be the audio director is going to be, but I can tell you who it won't be. It won't be whoever it was this past go around that was working the Belmont for them back last Saturday. What a nightmare. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com amazing to start your springtime adventure. What a mess. All right, so speaking of messes, it is one week later after I I did a whole bunch last week on the Last Word on Sports Media podcast about the Live Golf Series and the PGA Tour and whatever this is that seven days later we still don't have a lot of details on. Is it a merger? Is it the Live Golf Tour 
uh, uh, going away. I don't believe that. I'm on the record over and over again saying it's not going to go away. Uh, the PGA Tour will stay intact. I believe the Live Golf Tour, at least in the short term, will stay intact. And what is this new entity and how will that look? And most importantly now, uh, and I hope you got a chance to hear Bob Herrick with me back a few days ago on Friday. We put that up special on the podcast feed here on the Last Word on Sports Media podcast feed. And that's why you need to be following and subscribing. You get special editions of different shows. So I got a chance to catch up with Bob later in the week after we put this podcast out overnight Tuesday into Wednesday. And he and I were talking, I said, listen, there's not absolutes. And he agreed with me. This is still evolving and trying to figure it all out. He kind of disagreed with me that Jay Monahan would survive as the commissioner. I I just, I did not have any confidence that he was going to last that long. And folks, lo and behold, here we are now, as I got ready to put this podcast out, I've been gathering more information on Tuesday night. I mean, let's go into it like this. I've had a 30-plus year career at the local level and the national level in sports media. And you learn a lot and you get experienced in watching these things all the time. Let me say at the outset with this announcement about Jay Monahan, the PGA Tour commissioner, taking a leave from his role for what's being described as a medical situation in the press release they put out. I'm experienced enough to know this. We don't know for certain what happened here. It could be a a heart attack, a mild heart attack. It it could be some kind of a mental situation, stress level being what it is, high blood pressure. I am not going to sit here on this podcast and and act like that it it can't be. It can't possibly be a serious situation health-wise. Maybe it is. But ask yourself this. With the furor and the uproar that has gone on for the past week, with the calls for him to be ousted by different members of the media, which I wondered how that would play as things went on, with his own players on his own tour privately livid, and some of that now beginning to spill over, John Rahm very prominently at the U.S. Open for the coverage with the media on Tuesday at his press conference basically didn't mince words and said, we're feeling betrayed right now that this deal was done. Without us, without consenting us, I'm paraphrasing what he said. You've got the guy that is the the Masters champion from just a, a month or and a half or so ago, the former U.S. Open champion a couple of years ago, who's now playing in this event, who's basically saying, and if it's the most prominent names that don't have confidence in Jay Monahan, look out. The the one thing I will say with the qualifier of I don't know, nobody knows right now on how serious this is, on what is this health situation. But but to announce it on Tuesday night of U.S. Open week at well after 10 p.m. Eastern time in a statement, <laughs> I, I mean, it reeks. And again, I've been around a long time of if you were going to do something because there's a no confidence situation behind the scenes. I, I called a prominent media member friend of mine off the air who did not know this. I saw it first on social media. And I said, have you seen this tonight? And he said, no, I'm watching the hockey game. And I said to him, if you've got an uprising behind the scenes on the PGA Tour and you want to oust the commissioner in short order, but you don't want to announce that you've ousted him and you don't want to make it look like you've announced uh, or that you've that this is what you've done because you're irate, you're livid behind the scenes. I said to my media friend, how would you do it? Without knowing, he said, you would announce a medical leave of absence for Jay Monahan. And I laughed, just like I'm laughing right now. 
that that's exactly what the PGA Tour announced. So again, third time I will disclaim, we don't know. At some point, we may find out that there is a serious medical situation with Jay Monahan. But isn't it highly suspicious that a week after all of this, and I sat here on the record in front of this and said, I don't believe he's going to last in these roles here after what has happened. How can he? And he even he owned it later in the week, you know, from the Canadian Open last week in Toronto. He owned it and said, I, you know, the hypocrite criticism and that use of that term is fair. Uh, I was going with the information I had. Well, yeah, you went steps beyond that. You, you went to fight fire with fire and drag 9-11 families and the horrible uh, remembrance of 9-11 into it for a PR battle. And now you end up, as I said last week, a, a couple of different times. I'm not going to rehash everything I said. You're doing a deal with the very same people after all of that. So, again... Uh, here, uh, this on a Tuesday night at 10.15 p.m. So they've got new leadership for now behind the scenes on the PGA Tour, and we'll see what happens. We'll see if Jay Monahan comes back to that role or not. And look, I've said to a couple of people, and we don't know, as, as this becomes Wednesday, as this becomes later in the week, there'll be some more reporting on this. Jay Monahan could go away as the leader of the PGA Tour and could still have the role that he intends to have down the road with whatever this new entity is that the PIF fund, the Saudi investment money is going to, to be. So that, that could change. This, there's, no, there's nothing concrete that's been explained to any of the PGA Tour players, members, or the Live Golf Tour players or members on what exactly this is a week later. And I think that's a, that's a lot of the distrust right now, especially from the PGA Tour players point of view that there aren't specifics with this and that's the backdrop of the u.s open i'm looking forward to this major championship where rom's going to be a big contender brooks kepka by the way deflected a bunch in the press conference to the media on tuesday and said hey I, i'm just looking to prepare to try to win this tournament uh which he has obviously won a couple of times before and now as the pga champion he's got five major championships two u.s opens three pgas the only the only two players in the modern game of golf of the last 70 plus years that have two or more U.S. Opens and three or more PGA Championships are Jack Nicklaus and Tiger Woods. That's what Brooks Kepka's focused on. Can I get to a third U.S. Open to add to this collection? So he's there, obviously Rory McIlroy, uh, the, the names like Bryson DeChambeau, back to the PGA Tour like Scotty Scheffler, uh, Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, back to the Live Golf Tour, Cam Smith, Dustin Johnson, Phil Mickelson, they're all there. They're all around in Los Angeles' Country Club, an exclusive, rarely seen country club that's going to host this. And I can't wait for the primetime golf and the coverage that's going to be on NBC. And yes, on Golf Channel and yes, on the Peacock Network and the USA Network and all the other NBC networks. Have they got it? Uh, what else? Have they got it on CNBC for the financial? Uh, what else for all of NBC's networks? Are the Food Channel, is that one of theirs? Uh, who else is going to be showing this? But in any event... Uh, they're going to show it. They're going to show primetime golf. You're going to get to see the likes of Brooks and Rom and Rory and uh, Phil and Jordan Spieth and Dustin Johnson and all these different guys in primetime Thursday night and Friday night because of the West Coast time zone and the fact that it's daylight for much longer till, till close to eight local time, uh, Pacific time, almost 11 Eastern time. You can watch primetime golf. So I look forward to seeing that uh, a little bit later in the week. All right. So I've given you plenty. 
here on the last word on sports media podcast of my takes, my opinions. Let's talk now about another event that gets underway later this week. Let's talk some college baseball world series action and more and do that right now shall be the college world series in omaha nebraska and i've got to confess i have loved this event going all the way back to like middle school high school teenage days watching the college i go back in the college world series with the likes of pete incavelia there's a name uh, robin <laughs> ventura and and others uh that were bashing uh, baseballs uh, with those trampoline aluminum bats long ago. And now we move forward. God, that was 35, 40 years ago to the present day college world series. And to help me sort it all out. I love this man's insight on all kinds of things. My Tampa brother from another mother. Hello, Vince Ferrara, who is morning host on the sports animal in Knoxville, Tennessee, 99.1 FM. We love Vince for a lot of different reasons. Not the least of which in is he's as plugged in as anybody as part of the Tennessee Vols. A network, their broadcasts of games, their sports. Vince has also been part throughout this season of the baseball broadcast, the home broadcast. He's on the morning show there. And he's previously worked a college world series two years ago with Tennessee involved. If, if I haven't uh, basically extolled your virtues enough, uh, we need to go have breakfast at some point. You got to get back down here to Tampa. Or I got to get up to Knoxville and we go break some bread. Vince Ferrara, how you feeling here in June? The great TJ Reeves. I am wonderful. Tampa brother from another mother. I will get down to Tampa to see you uh, probably just before SEC football media days in the middle of July, which this year is in Nashville. So I will make it down there and excited that USF is getting a a new stadium. How about that on campus football stadium? It looks like for the local team here in Tampa, that's been trying to play catch up for several years and get an on-campus facility and figure it all out. Um, okay, so we'll get to some football, some SEC schedule, but baseball at the forefront. As we tape this conversation, College World Series is set for ESPN. And look, I said this earlier in the show, we've got the U.S. Open golf this week. We've got the NBA Finals uh, wrapped up. We've got the Stanley Cup uh, final uh, wrapping up. Uh, we, we now are into other things. Major League Baseball, yes, but for big events – like uh, like what the Kentucky Derby or the Indianapolis 500 or now the U.S. Open Golf or the College World Series, they kind of take center stage. So I got to have my man Ferrara on to help break it down <laughs> because the SEC has 57 teams in this thing every year, uh, and he was part of it a couple of years ago. All right, so let's begin with the volunteers in the market where you are became the fourth SEC current team. Uh, to uh, and this doesn't include the years that Oklahoma or Texas have been making it in their soon-to-be SEC teams. But this is a fourth uh, SEC team to get in. Tennessee had a scratch and claw to get in in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. They're back in the College World Series, and it was a scramble. It was a scramble for the Vols to get there. Tell me more, Vince. Well, Tennessee had not played well on the road all season long, and then they their last regular season series, they beat South Carolina two out of three on the road. So you started to wonder, okay, maybe they've turned the corner because they did play much better in the second half after starting five and 10 in SEC play. Then they go to Hoover with that little bit of road momentum and they lose the one game in single elimination at Texas A&M. So then you wonder, all right, are they going back to some of their road woes? They get a two seed to the Clemson regional, the number four national seed. Tennessee wins all three games there, including over Clemson in 14 innings in an absolute epic thriller where they were down to their final strike twice 
Wow. And Grice, the Clemson starter, on both of those occasions with a pitch away from getting a complete game and then Tennessee being sent into the loser's bracket. So that's how close it is. Three-run homer down two in the bottom, in the top of the ninth. Clemson would tie it at five. They go to 14, get out of the bases loaded, nobody out jammed. So, I mean, Tennessee was on the brink a lot in that regional, but they won that game, won all three games to get to the Super Regional against Southern Miss. It's a unique circumstance, and it goes back to criticism of the NCAA, which we're never short of, but Southern Miss and Tennessee both matched up in the bracket. Both were two seeds. Southern Miss coming out of the Auburn uh, Regional and they were the number 13 national seed. So you have two two seeds that now you have to determine who gets the host. Well, the NCAA and their infinite wisdom does not have any predetermined criteria <laughs> other wait, than a wait, com- wait, can I right. stop you? How is that <laughs> sure. possible in 2023? It's mm-hmm. one thing if you didn't ex- explain this or expand on this on the scenarios, and it's 1993. This is 2023. How do you not have some guideline to go by in place that says if they're both two seeds that you're going on some kind of power ranking, you're going right. on some, some kind of strength of schedule, some way to determine this? What is up? Continue on. Because that would make sense and would be logical, which often does not come into the equation. So they have a committee, okay? The committee is looking at their criteria is we're looking at the bids of the schools that they put in for regional hosts going in and, you know, the, the the revenue generated in the hotels and all. They take all those things into consideration and you have people in these back rooms with no explanation deciding on it. So both of them had very similar RPIs. Right. Uh, Tennessee checked more boxes than Southern Miss did. And oh, by the way, they also beat the higher seed uh, at their at their regional in the national four seed, Clemson, whereas Southern Miss beat the 13 overall. So you can do a lot of different things. They based the putting together the bracket, TJ, off of the RPI. I mean, they used the RPI so much. Then it came down to the RPI, and they didn't use it to decide between the two teams as well. So, I mean, it's just the typical. Then the, the reason you're coming to all of this is that mean Tennessee had to play at Southern Miss Correct. for three games and uh, best of three for yeah, that scenario. So, right. So Tennessee had to play at Southern Miss. Fans were really uh, mad about it. Weren't a ton of tickets available. So Tennessee goes there, loses the first game, which started on a Saturday. Weather stopped it postponed it to Sunday, they completed that game, Southern Miss won. Then they had to turn around and play another game and it, it for game two on Sunday, and Tennessee falls behind 4 nothing in game two. Southern Miss has their ace on the mound, who's a top three uh, projected draft pick. It's looking bleak. An incredible stop at third by the Alabama transfer and Zane Denton. They prevent a double, ending. the inning ends there. And Southern Miss would not score again in the Super Regional. Tennessee would explode for six in the next inning, two more, won eight to four that game, then won five nothing late into the night after a long delay. Wow. Started at 10.06 Eastern time, mm. TJ. And into the morning, Tennessee won five nothing to win that Super Regional at Hattiesburg to get to this spot. Unexpected at times with the route they took, uh, preseason number two, and had some up and downs, but they weren't came you telling me they were like five and 10 
in SEC play, something Correct. like that, and yep. overcame well, it. And now you're telling me these stories about the first round and being on the verge of going out a couple of times. Yep. And now this story in Hattiesburg, maybe they look a little like a team of destiny, just wondering about the volunteers real quick one more time. Well, TJ, part of the deal is, is this team has been hardened by all the adversity and what they've had to overcome being knocked to the deck. You're a boxing guy and mm-hmm. getting up off the mat. So this team didn't have that last year when they were by far the best team, the number one national seed, and they lost at home in the super regional to Notre Dame. They, that was really their first adversity. They were destroying teams all year. And then they weren't able to, to handle that adversity when they got it in the Super Regionals. Thus, they didn't make it to Omaha last year. This year, because of everything they dealt with and overcame, they were hardened, they were toughened, and they were able to handle the weather, not being at home, all those kind of things. And they were able to push through and get to Omaha. So three other teams, as we talked to Vince Ferrara here, Uh, from uh, Knoxville, Tennessee, Sports Animal, the FM All Sports Radio Station. He is the morning host there, but also big on the Vol Network with their coverage, including their college baseball coverage. The SEC does place four total teams in the College World Series. you got to give me a little credit here because I did some original research. I'm going all the way back to the 2017 College World Series with the understanding they did not play a COVID-19 uh, World Series in 2020 at all, but 17, 18, 19, 21, 22, and now 23. There have been at least three Southeastern Conference teams, at least three, out of the eight in every one of these. Why Why is this conference just continually, and it's not the same teams all the time, why, why has this conference continually been so good and so deep at having you know three, sometimes four teams in the final eight? Recruiting, uh, fan bases, venues, uh, money invested in the programs. They have a couple of schools that actually make a profit off of baseball where a lot of the country, it does not make money. I think that is in the pathway to change uh, with the sport really growing. But it's commitment. It is coaching. It's talent. Mm. It's all those things. And it's only going to get even tougher when – Texas and Oklahoma come in uh, to uh, to the league in 2024. And I may have said four. Vince is keeping me in line. It's three. Tennessee, LSU, Florida joining TCU, Virginia, Stanford, Wake Forest, and Oral Roberts. And by the way, you and I were commiserating off the air. Several people uh, sent me this. I had not seen it live, but I saw it this morning. You talk about Southern Miss uh, collapsing at home. How about the Texas loss to end their season on a final out, potentially pop fly into shallow center, just over second base that nobody can find the ball. And and Stanford scores, what, three runs on the play, right? On the pop, at least a couple runs on the play to win in the bottom of the ninth with two outs. And that's the end of your season. If you're Texas in a super regional, my Lord, for Stanford to move on. Yeah, brutal. I, I think I think just the the first run was a winning run, so I think they stopped there. I mean, there was a couple of guys on base that <laughs> could have, but yeah, it was brutal, and you could just see the tears, and it's so hard to end your season that way. Yeah, you get out of the inning in a 6-6 game, you go into extras, because that was the bottom of the ninth. Instead, season over, poof, just wow. like that. Um, okay, so- So so we don't know what is going to happen. I do know this. My man Ferrara got to do something that uh, I am professionally, I I jokingly and kiddingly have said this to you before. I'm professionally jealous of this. You got to call 
a college world series with John Wilkerson with Tennessee a couple of years ago. Enlighten the fans as this moves into play Friday and Saturday in Omaha, Nebraska. What is it like to be in that atmosphere? What do you want fans to know that see this on TV every year? And there are thousands and thousands that make the pilgrimage, even if they don't have allegiance to a team. It's that yeah. it's that big of an event. What is it like to be around it? It's um, it's really cool because you can sense it coming into town. There's so much pride in it. And in and around the stadium, you see the banners, you see the statues, you just feel the history. The people there in, in Omaha are very proud of that annual event. And they know that nationally there's a lot of people that are locked in to their area. And so you you, you take it all in as a full event going in. Then when you get there, it is a this is a newer ballpark than what they're playing back in the day in Rosenblatt. But it's an awesome ballpark because all the sight lines everywhere are great. You can walk all around the stadium on the concourse and make your way and see all the different vantage points. There is. Hey, here's a concept for you. There's space around the seats and in the aisles. Imagine that. <laughs> Yeah, uh, for for modern sports. So you can watch the game in some comfort, some great views. There's restaurants in the outfield. There's hangout areas. It's just a great ballpark. You can feel the tradition and history there. You know, there's been some amazing things that have happened there. And it's a big ballpark, too. So you kind of you're in awe a little bit of it also because it is a structure that does pop while you're there. And you see all the different fan bases represented Hey, don't be mistaken, TJ, that Tennessee LSU game, which will be the last of those four first matchups Saturday night at seven o'clock. You're kidding me. Those two fan bases that mm. travel like no other with some time to get, uh, I don't know, hydrated, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> lathered uh, up as we lathered like to say. Up, yes, no yes. doubt about it. Yes. And, uh, they, they met earlier this year. LSU took two out of three uh, in Baton Rouge, but I think both teams are much different, especially Tennessee. And, oh, by the way, when Tennessee last went to the College World Series in Omaha two years ago, guess who Tennessee beat in the Super Regionals in Knoxville to get to Omaha? The LSU Tigers. That was Paul Maneri's final season. And I'm guessing there are some players, maybe not a bunch, but some players that are on both teams that do remember how that went down a couple of years ago. We'll see uh, what happens with that. And with that atmosphere, and the, and the and the other cool thing is, this is a permanent destination for this event. And the women have now done this with Oklahoma City right. and the college uh, softball World Series. But I mean, bowl games, yes, we know the Rose Bowls in Pasadena, the Sugar Bowl is in New Orleans. But the Final Four moves around every year in right. college basketball. They move the Super Bowl every year. You don't know who the teams are in the NBA finals or the Stanley cup finals. And they get to the, you know, the home ice, the home court advantage, uh, the world, you know, the world series advantage for the baseball teams, like the week before, you know, this thing is in Omaha all, all season. You're, you're gearing to be in a permanent place where it is every year. So it is like a destination and fans can make their, their travel plans around. And I have to believe that that is uh, a big factor. Just one more for you broadcasting it because it is a sports media uh, podcast here. Did you did the hair on the back of your neck stand up as you took to the mic to call some play by play with John Wilkerson doing most of it, but you did some of it. I mean, come on, confess here. Did you, I mean? I mean, you had to have a couple of goosebumps. Here we go. I'm calling the College World Series here in Omaha. 
Yeah, it, it definitely was. And look, I'm the analyst when I don't do the middle inning play-by-play. So I was there from the jump. Unfortunately, if I recall correctly, well, Tennessee lost their two games there. So it wasn't as long of a trip. And Tennessee fell behind early. So kind of takes a little bit of the sting of it when you're exploding out of the box and your sure. team is doing well. It's a little bit different energy. And uh, and you can take it in a little bit more. It, it kind of took a little bit of that sting. But what do you recollect? Not... I don't mean to interrupt, but what do you recollect about the yeah. first pitch then? If it was not you on the middle innings, but when the first pitch is about to happen and you're about to call, because Tennessee had not been in the College World Series. Am I correct? That was first time. Or am I wrong about uh, that? No, in a long time. First in time a long, in a long time. time. So yeah. when they're about to make uh, the first pitch and John's on the call and you're sitting there, what do you recollect about that? That had to be a moment in game the one. The reaction of the crowd. Because when when the baseball pops the catcher's mitt, the response from the crowd, like, we're underway. Like, that gasp and that reaction to a kickoff for a mm-hmm. big game, a Super Bowl, whatever, that's the, the reaction you got from – the stadium probably from both sides and um and so that's what i remember how that that volume kicked right away and then it was on love it from vince ferrara here with me for a few more minutes hanging out on the last word on sports media podcast vince is the morning host with john wilkerson on 99.1 fm the sports animal the knoxville radio station again the vols of tennessee and they're they're the vol network the flagship the vols in the College World Series to play LSU in their opening round game. Three SEC teams involved. They uh, they play winner's bracket, loser's bracket, uh, motoring into the final uh, two teams that will play a best of three at the end of this. It's kind of an odyssey. It goes on for about 10 days before it finally plays out with a best of three with the remaining two teams. So that all gets started this weekend. ESPN televises. So intriguing to uh, to see what's going to happen there with the uh the college world series and uh, vince has given us great insight on anything else before i wrap on that i gotta ask you about sec football schedule anything else absolutely i'll be i'll be quick couple things one college world series odds wake forest best odds at plus 275 followed by lsu at plus 300 florida at plus 450 virginia plus 450 tennessee at plus 750 so fifth TCU plus 800, Stanford plus 1,200, Paul yes. Roberts, the four seed, plus 2,200 in those team futures to win the national championship. And here's one other note, TJ, the number one seed, the number one national seed, which this year is Wake Forest, has not won the College World Series since the late 90s, the old classic Miami Hurricane teams. So being the biggest and the baddest like Wake is, number one in home runs, number one in pitching, it, for whatever reason, balance, parity, uh, all those kind of things, matchup, ballpark, number number one overall seed has a tough time winning it all in Omaha. These are good notes. These are good uh, good nuggets, and we'll see what happens. Uh, in particular, that Florida team, Jack Caglione, yeah. uh, interesting Tampa plant. High school, Vince Ferrara. High they got a number of those Jay on that. Reeves, high school of uh, my plant Panthers. Uh, <laughs> There's which, no Jefferson Dragons. No on, Jefferson uh, Dragons. Listen, Florida listen, <laughs> you've had your Fred McGriffs and your right. Tino Martinez's yeah. and and those all throughout baseball lore. Yeah. Uh, a plant with Wade Boggs. By the way, Pete Alonzo of the Mets, former 40 home run hitter and all-star. Hurt yeah. right now. But Cag- Caglione is the first Florida Gator to ever have 30 home runs in a season. Do I have that right? I believe that is the case. 
Um, it is. Yep. So what a story he's been, and we'll see if Florida can and Florida national title back in 2017 in the College World Series. We'll uh you had another nugget too about Mississippi State winning the whole thing a couple of years ago and how tough the SEC is. Prop it one more time for college baseball purposes and how deep the conference is. Yeah, Mississippi State won the national championship when Tennessee was there. We were there two years ago. They had an epic duel with Vanderbilt, two SEC teams in the national championship series, which it's double elimination until they get to the final two. Then it's a best of three series to win it all clean slate. And so Mississippi State won it that year. They have not been back to the NCAA tournament since then. In fact, they've missed the SEC tournament. And so if wow. you don't make it to the SEC tournament, you're not making it to the NCAA tournament. So they were on the outside looking in the last couple of years. Ole Miss, national champions last year, also didn't make the SEC tournament or the NCAA tournament this year. And and one and of the that's a thing, by, that's a byproduct of how good the conference is, though, right? That those teams right. can't even make the SEC tournament because they limit the field. Go ahead. And, and and that tells you that makes Tennessee coming back from five and ten in SEC play. They did that against SEC competition when they went eleven and four in the second half. And Ole Miss, they were also five and ten when they won the national championship. Mm. Started five and ten in SEC play. They're an older team, just like Tennessee is. And then so Tennessee did the same thing. We'll see if they can take that same path. I don't know what that means about making the SEC tournament moving forward if you cash it in but nobody cares because if you get that nasty yeah. that natty it doesn't matter afterwards find a way find a way and again yeah. i got i got uh great buddies that are virginia people the barber twins by the way because you love your buccaneers like oh, i yeah. do barbers are virginia people they're going crazy oh, yeah. for the wahoos uh yep. you mentioned that wake forest team is the number one overall seed stanford is the western representative we'll see what happens with the college world series before you go vince Ferrar, so much being made that out of the sec's spring meetings uh that they have uh, once again said commissioner greg sankey on behalf of the schools the athletic director says there there's not enough support for a nine game conference schedule versus eight most of the other conferences do play nine games all right, so where do you come down on this? I guess your personal opinion. Do you believe the SEC should be playing a ninth game like everybody else? Where do you come down? I do. I was just heavily disappointed that they could not come to an agreement for a permanent future schedule. What this came down to is Nick Saban and others started looking at two things. They were looking at the permanent opponents, which they didn't like, Hey, suddenly Nick Saban's three permanent opponents that they had kind of settled on, he was looking at LSU, Auburn, and Tennessee. And, hey, guess what? LSU is back to being really good, and Tennessee's good, whereas them being in the middle of the pack or below average, now it looks like a gauntlet. So that's different. And, two, they want more money from ESPN because they're saying, hey, we're going to get all this extra inventory and great games. Where's our extra money for it? Now, I can't believe they didn't have any sort of contingency set up knowing that this would be something they would do down the road. But Greg Sankey kept saying it wasn't about the money, and surely it always is. Of course it is. But yeah. wait, a, wait a half sec. Let's back up. Yeah. Alabama plays Tennessee, Auburn, and LSU every year. So what was the issue again? The issue was that they weren't going to be able to play all three of them every year, or the issue was that it was a problem that they were still playing all three of them every year. I mean, well, you, they, you play them every be, year anyway. Right. They would be the permanent opponents. Whereas 
some others with their permanent opponents, it's not balanced. Well, they would play lesser teams. Right. Um, so, and, and you're playing nine games. So some years you're going to play three tough permanent opponents and play an extra road game. So, True. Uh, and play somebody, Alabama always challenges itself in non-conference. So they're looking at it like, all right, we're going to have 11 tough games versus everybody else with less than eight. So that's another important point on this. And I keep saying to everybody, and I know you know this, you got to pick a lane if you want a ninth SEC game. Because what will happen then is these schools like Alabama, uh, LSU, Tennessee, Florida, the biggest ones, Georgia, all the biggest ones, they're not going to play a tough opponent at the beginning of the year anymore. You're not going to get those made-for-TV matchups Labor Day weekend or the second week of the season where you know Alabama's going to go play Texas, or I'm making them up. Uh, if Florida plays Ohio State, uh, Georgia ends up playing USC, you're not going to get those matchups because the wow. SEC schools will say, we want the two by games that we have that we play to go along with the nine conference games. And then for schools like Georgia playing Georgia tech, Florida playing Florida state, South Carolina playing Clemson, they, they aren't going to play those made for TV games, Vince. That's another, you got to pick a lane on which one you want. That's where I'm coming from on no, that. You're, you're right. That's what we expect. But look, a couple of things. One is the Florida's of the world. What are they going to cancel their series with Florida state? They're not going to do that. Right. Georgia's not going to cancel with Georgia tech. Some of these have those built in South Carolina with Clemson. Some of these have those built in already. So they're just going to have to play that extra tough game where others that maybe would have an option would not. But right now, everyone is required to with an eight game schedule, including what they're going to announce Wednesday night on made for primetime TV on the SEC network, where they will unveil the, the eight opponents in the 2024 open schedule that is temporary. That uh, That is a, a, uh, an important point. It's not that they decided to permanently stay at eight. It's a temporary to buy time because there wasn't the agreement throughout the conference that, that Greg Sankey thought he had the votes going in to Destin and he did not because some flipped, some were wavering. So they decided, Hey, let's put this off rather than just committing long-term to eight, but the sec would have to change their rule if they go to nine and say, all right, we're not going to require that power five game of everyone by going to nine. I, you know, it would be great if they kept that rule, but I don't think that's realistic. And here's another thing with the, with the nine game schedule. I think the the by the SEC forcing the permanent opponent, they may have to reevaluate that. Look what the Big Ten did, where they just selectively picked uh, permanent opponents, but not everyone gets one or three. Penn State had none. Iowa had three. So now you protect certain series that are the most important, but you don't force it on ones yeah. that don't have as many. You have lives. anarchy. What you're saying without saying it is you have anarchy. You have something that doesn't add up, doesn't make sense, and nobody knows what to believe on the scheduling uh, with this. And as Greg Sankey pointed out, it's tough enough in that conference every year. I know I know people all across Big Ten land, Pac-12 land, Big 12, they get wary ACC of hearing this, but the SEC has dominated in college football for the better part of 20 years, especially in the postseason. So when Greg Sankey says, we got all the way to the end and won the championship game as a conference 65-7, to we must be doing something right, he's right. Georgia back-to-back, well, -back, Alabama seemingly every year, LSU, Florida uh, that, have, that have won titles. Uh, Auburn in the last 10, 15 years, they must be doing something right. So if if he says it's not in our interest in the short term right now to play a ninth game, who can argue with that? With the way that well, uh, the way they played, they don't have the incentive to change or be out in front like the other conferences do because it doesn't matter the format. 
it doesn't matter how many conference games. It doesn't matter how many teams are in the college football playoff. You name it. Two, four, eight, 12, anything in between. The SEC is going to have the most teams and going to have the biggest advantage. The one thing about eight that makes some people wonder when you start comparing potential resumes is if a team, maybe their non-conference isn't that great and they're the eight teams that they play, maybe some of those underperform or it's top heavy and you avoid those teams. Maybe your resume isn't as good with eight games versus someone from the Big Ten. Like this year, the Big Ten has some power brokers in the top ten, and maybe some of those beat out your team. That's when the SEC would would adjust is when they would get left out in a critical situation for the play. But define, I know what you mean, but define left out. Left out means you don't get a fifth team or a sixth team out of the 12. That's not exactly Well, now right. that they're going to 12, you're right. It yeah, would right. be a different I mean, situation. The, right. the, bottom, the bottom line, too, is, and this is the great unknown, and we don't have to go for another 15 minutes because you've been most gracious to me uh, for the time here. The bottom line is they're all, they also have an eye on the second season now. It's essentially a second season. It's essentially right. now that the, the postseason is more important than the end of the regular season. What's going to happen, especially those first two weekends with the four home games for the for the four highest seeds that are playing the first week and then those neutral site matchups with the eight remaining teams, that's going to be more important than what happened at the very end of the regular season anyway. So well, I understand that. I understand that argument too. From a big from a big picture standpoint for the league, yes. But here's the thing: there was enough opposition, TJ, from the schools that are trying to stay bowl eligible. And let's be real: some of these teams, there was the haves and the have-nots. Initially, is what it looked like. The have-nots wanted to stay at eight so they could stay bowl eligible. And then also, there's the home dates. Those home dates bring in the revenue that they really need. Whereas if you're at the top of the conference, you know, hey, we're going to win our fair share of games, tougher competition. We can afford a loss or two with a nine-game schedule. Uh, we'll make up the, the date in uh, the home dates in other ways. Right. They're looking at the big-picture college football playoff like the league wanted to. But Greg Sankey, he, I thought it would, they would go to nine games because what he wants, he normally gets. So it, it, it wasn't necessarily the best look where now he wasn't able to – influence his presidents to vote the way he wanted, which is what the way we all thought it was going to happen. There were enough people with opposition in different ways that prevented that from happening. Everybody looks at it completely different. He words for now. And you know that for now right. it's eight It'll games. Happen. Stay tuned yeah. on that. And for now we got to let Vince Ferrara run Tennessee <laughs> LSU Saturday night, beginning in the college world series. Again, Vince is all over it. 99.1 FM, the sports animal in Knoxville, Tennessee, as part of that morning show. His partner, John Wilkerson, will be in Omaha and on the call. Vince has been on the call uh, throughout the season on the home games, has been on the call previously in the College World Series. Have a blast with all of this. Let's see what Tennessee does as the weekend turns to next week and if they can hang around and uh, and the College World Series kind of dwindles down to a final four and then a final two teams. Let's see what happens. Listen, I always love the time. Uh, appreciate it. Let's go get some Cuban sandwiches, some yes, black sir. beans and yellow rice, whatever we need here in Tampa, whenever I can see you. Good to have you on the last word on sports media podcast. Vince Ferrara. You're the man. Appreciate you, TJ. Talk to you soon, bud. So there we go. Uh, again, uh, a lot covered here on this edition of the podcast, and we thank Vince Ferrara for hanging here. A lot of great insight, too, on the SEC scheduling, as well as the College Baseball World Series, which gets underway with ESPN 
covering. I know that uh, Carl Ravitch and Eduardo Perez and David Cohn, who are their Sunday night announcers, they've been part of the uh, the baseball coverage here. Tom uh, Tom Hart, who does a bunch of the SEC network and ESPN network uh, baseball coverage for college baseball. He and Kyle Peterson and others, they'll be on the call as well for all these games, the College World Series as it plays out. And let's see what Tennessee will do. And the likes of all the other programs like Stanford and TCU and Oral Roberts, all the different programs, Virginia, uh, what will happen? LSU, Florida, I'm probably leaving somebody out, et cetera, as they get ready to embark on the 2023 College World Series. And there you go. Uh, a lot from NBA finals to Stanley Cup finals to what's up with the U.S. Open this week. I'm excited for the golf to watch that. And again, as I was saying to Vince, we got different sports now that we're going to keep track of and watch and see tennis championships, golf championships, baseball this summer, baseball all-star game, and the football will be here before we know it, probably in about 60 days. Got 60 days to get through for the summer with a vacation and a rest up, et cetera. And don't worry, we're not going anywhere here on the last word on sports uh, media podcast feed and all the coverage. Again, Phil DeMont Mullen and Mike Gill will be here later in the week with announcer schedules. George Offman here would tell me a story I don't know. And that podcast feed for now, though, we are good for this edition of the Last Word on Sports Media podcast and the feed. Make sure you're following or subscribing. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify uh, here. And go find out more at lastwordonsports.com slash podcast. I'm merely TJ Reeves. My thanks again to Vince Ferrara of Knoxville's 99.1, the Sports Animal Radio. Let's see what Tennessee does in that College World Series starting this weekend. For now, we are good, though, covering everything inside and outside sports media. Uh, on the tube, on the radio, the games on and off the field, the ice, uh, and, and the golf course and wherever else. For now, we're good with the last word on sports media podcast. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.